Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Here you are leaning in on Memorial Day, and that says something about you, all right? Anytime you do anything, there is an equal opportunity to have done something else, right? And it says that you're expecting something to happen today. You're expecting God to move, and I believe that God moves every time we go into his house and every time we open up his word. Can someone agree with me on that? I mean, I believe that any time that we come to church is the opportunity for a milestone event, for a change, the end of something and the beginning of something else. And because you're here on Memorial Day weekend of all weekends, you get to hear me and I get to see you. And I really hope that God does something with our time together. All right. See, today we're celebrating a lot. We took some time a moment ago, really just to to mourn with those who mourn and turn our hearts to some of the just garbage going on in our world today. But for a while, I, I even thought about changing my message because, gosh, it's dark out there, guys. But today is a day for celebration. Today, we're celebrating Journey and our graduates here. And while we only have one, his name is Josh Mazinko, he'll be in the next, did I say his name right? I think I did, Mazinko, Mazinko, there we go. He'll be here in the second service. But I know that here with you guys, we'll get to pray for the graduates, not just here, but at Apopka as well, later on in the service. And we're celebrating graduation because it's that time of year. And graduation is this this season that happens every single year. You can literally set your watch by it. And it's a milestone event for the people who are done with their high school career or their college career or, or otherwise. There's a really cool quote about graduation because, you know, it's a sermon, so i got to have a quote, right? Orrin Hatch says that graduation is not the end, it's the beginning. And that's true. See, so much about graduation is bittersweet in the end of high school, but it's really the beginning of everything else. It's a great shift and a great change. And in honor of our graduates, I want to invite you guys just to to imagine something with me, right? Just imagine, imagine today that we're all graduates. We all have one of these tacky little tassels. In fact, you'll get one as a party favor, of course, on your way out. (laughs) I don't know if I'm supposed to swing it around or something, but we all are graduating today. And what I mean by that is imagine that no matter how old you may be, how much mileage may be on your bones, or how messed up things have gotten from high school or otherwise, today is an opportunity for you to graduate. Today is an opportunity for you to end something behind you and to step into something new in front of you. And the thing about that is that's sad, like that, well, you're just doing that so the graduates don't feel like you're only talking to them. Well, yes, but also it's true. Because of the power of the gospel, we have the opportunity on any given Sunday, any given Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, any day of the week to decide that something has ended, and there's a new thing that we're stepping into. And Lake County, even if you didn't need that, that kind of metaphor, I think it's fair to say that our, our church, our campus specifically, has certainly went to school these last couple of years. No amens? No one agree with that? I'm very Southern, you guys. You can speak when I talk. I won't feel bad. I feel bad if you're quiet. You know, like normally you feel weird talking because there's a screen 
And it's like, surely Pastor John can't hear me. But I mean, amen every week, but he can't hear me. I can hear you. Go ahead. See, it's been a long season here at Lake County. A really long season. We could talk about COVID. We could talk about turnover. We could talk about the start, stop growth that we've seen, even in just the last seven months that I've been here. I think it's fair to say that at Lake County, we've been to school. And I want to just say, you've graduated today. You've graduated the School of Hard Knocks. In fact, let's cheer for that. You guys have graduated. Let me be the first to congratulate you as the Lake County Class of 2022. I'm so excited that I get to be a part of today's graduation festivities. So as we go into just the message here, I want you to think that if you're all agreeing with me that you're going to pretend, just for me, to be graduates today, that that means graduation prompts you to look for advice. See, graduation is the end of a season and the beginning of another. another. Things change. See, the graduates that we're presenting at Apopka and that we're presenting here, they had dreams and goals and ambitions, and the, prom, the predominant thing they needed to do was just get up and go to school every day. But life gets harder after high school, right? Surprise, surprise. See, people amen to that. <laughs> life gets hard when we get out of that, of that construct. Suddenly, graduates have to prioritize things like tasks, relationship, their time, their friends. And today, I want to explore what can help us as Christ followers find what's important and what we prioritize as we go into the world. See, a lot of this comes from my first conversation with Pastor Dustin. And when I mean my first conversation, I literally mean my first conversation. It happened outside of a Mexican restaurant in Shelby, Ohio. Uh, He called, we talked about it in my truck on Bluetooth, and he was just the most excitable man I had ever heard. He sounded 10 feet tall. <laughs> he, he sounded 10 feet tall. I was very surprised and had to school my expression when I met him. He sounded just titan of a man. And the things he talked about when telling me about Journey uh, in a conversation that was a first interview that I didn't even know I was having, so great it was just to talk with a like-minded person laboring in the church he talked a lot about next-generation leadership. He talked about how Journey was this incredible place where the next generation was being lifted up. He talked about the residency, which you just heard about. And this is already just snaring me in. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I can honestly say, after looking nationwide for a job, Dustin was the first person to talk about his church and sell it by how healthy it was. Not how wealthy, not the Florida sunshine, which I appreciate, He didn't mention all the perks. He talked about how healthy it was and how absolutely dedicated it was to reaching the next generation. And he mentioned a kind of pithy statement. Pastor Dustin has a lot of pithy statements, but this one, it clung to me. He said that when he's looking for next generation volunteers, when he's looking for next generation workers, be it our residents or our young members of staff, we have one here right here, He looks for three things. He wants them to be humble, hungry, and holy. Humble, hungry, and holy. And some of that credit goes to a wonderful book written about 10 years back uh, by Brad Lomanick, H3 Leadership. It's great. Totally recommend. But for all intents and purposes, we'll just say Pastor Dustin said it, right? Cool. All right. Humble, hungry, and holy. Two things of this, you are. You either are humble or you're not. You either are hungry or you're not. Very black and white, very easy to understand. 
But one of these things you pursue, and that's holiness, being holy. These three values aren't really all-encompassing of what we look at for staff members or residents or anything like that, just pulling back the curtain, but it's foundational. And I believe it's something that we should adopt as foundational to us right here at Lake County, that we could be humble, hungry, and holy. I think it's the kind of thing that can change our perspective of our life and the perspective of others when it comes to us. So let's dig right in. Humble. Humble can be one of the hardest values to aspire to. Because the funny thing is, the better you get at humility, the more likely you are to notice it. The more success that you have, the more likely you are to notice it. The more laurels that are placed on your head, the more you'll start to believe the hype that people are saying about you. It's difficult to be humble because most people don't know what humility is really about. See, humility isn't a low view of yourself, guys. It's actually a sober view. Not too high, not too low. You've got to estimate your abilities well and do it often in comparison with what you need to do. If you think your abilities are too low to accomplish what's in front of you, you won't be wrong. But if you assume that you can get it done, you will often surprise yourself on how easy you accomplish those things. So humility isn't about thinking you're the lowest of the low, but it's certainly never thinking you're the highest of the high. And the Apostle Paul mentions this idea, this sober-mindedness, as he talks about the gifts of God's grace in Romans 12.3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, to be humble, we have to view ourselves through a very special lens, the lens of what God accomplishes. Not what I accomplish, not what you accomplish, not necessarily what we have or even what we're pursuing, but what God is doing and has done in our life. We have to see ourselves, as Paul says, through the measure of faith we're given. God's grace means that I need to cut myself some slack, but it also needs to mean I need to be careful when we take too much credit for our position our wealth, or our successes. And this is something that very much applies to our culture. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in America where I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. The only problem with that is I didn't even do half the work. I should be proud of what I've accomplished, have some pride in myself. But when it crosses into sin, it's when I no longer give credit to the people that lifted me on their shoulders. And I no longer see that God is the one who did the work, who put me in such a place at such a time and so that I could succeed. See, humility is hard because self-awareness is hard. It's very hard to look at ourselves with a view that isn't skewed or crooked or cross-eyed. In fact, husbands, boyfriends, significant others, have you ever seen your wife take a selfie? Have you? Have you ever seen her take a selfie like this? No, no, no. Like this? No, no, no. Like this? Definitely. (laughs) Have you ever looked at me and seen me like this? Really? (laughs) Get out! If I'm looking at my phone like this, I'm recording an event that never happened. No one has ever seen my face without a double chin, even though I keep a beard to hide it. No one has ever seen it. 
No one has ever seen it. No one ever will. But I bet you what? Me and my wife are celebrating an anniversary, sixth one. My wife's a great clap for that. If we take a selfie at lunch today, that's going to be jacked up to the sky. I promise you. Because the reality is when we want to record ourselves, when we want to make a memory or when we want to recall a memory, we're going to slap on every filter and angle we can to make ourselves look a little bit like we want to look. It's a lot easier to revise history than to make history. It's much easier to edit what we're showing than to show something worth seeing. If your toes hurt, mine do too. But that's not the only way we can be humble. It's not just a sober estimation of ourselves, but also a clear effort to put others ahead of yourself, to make sure that in all those selfies, there might be someone else in there. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 makes it so clear. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, our heart matters. A humble heart matters. Our motives matter. And when our motives involve someone other than ourselves, other than our own ambitions, when our motives take into account the significance of others, we see our lives change and we see the lives of the people around us change. When we have both sober awareness and a significant view of others, we'll find ourselves elevated. This is something that God promises. In fact, it's something that Jesus teaches in a wonderful parable about the wedding feast. And I don't want to go through the whole thing. I'll get to the scripture in a minute. But the parable is as follows, that there's a great feast in several places at several tables, and there are plenty of optimum seating. The seats are assigned, of course, but there's no clear label. And he says, better that you just pick a humble seat than to pick the prime seat. Because if you're in the prime seat and you don't belong, they're going to kick you out. But if you're in the humble seat, you'll be elevated to where you best fit. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In Luke 14, 11. See, a humble presence at work or at wedding parties invites community. It invites people around your table because your ego isn't taking up seats. And I want to be at a church where the model of humility is so inviting that people are tripping over themselves to be a part of that community. Because reality is nobody likes arrogance. Nobody likes it. It's never attractive. Let's move to the next one. Hungry. I know a lot about hungry, all right? Much of the habits we display in our life, they're informed by our appetites. What are you guys hungry for? See, I want to make sure here at Lake County, we're hungry for righteousness. We're hungry to see justice done in our community. We're hungry for mercy. We're hungry for a full room, not just because we can tell our friends how exciting our church is, but that's more people who are getting a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be hungry at this church for the things that matter. But our appetites are easily distractions and easily distracted. See, uh, I was actually in residency training this week, and, and Pastor Dustin said, hungry people get fed. And I said, well, that can't be true all the time. <laughs> and then he continued. He said, when we look for things, we find them. See, 
I am also a man who knows a lot about hunger. And I know that it's really the nature of our appetites that create the shape of our lives. And when I'm looking for a healthy meal, believe me, guys, it actually happens. I find a healthy meal. But when mama make that fried chicken, I'm going to eat the fried chicken. See, my appetites shift based on who's around me. Shifts on my stress level. I was a little stressed coming here today, to be quite honest. So, you know, last night I'm out of like four microwavable burritos. <laughs> Could have happened. There's no proof. I threw the wrappers away. Pretty sure my wife doesn't know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> my appetites change because of my situation, because of my distractions, because of the things that are coming around on us. And these shifting appetites can blind me and it can blind you and the importance of what we already have and make us focus on fleeting wants. It really reminds me of Jacob and Esau. They're two brothers who are actually defined by their appetites. Esau is defined by an appetite that causes him to cheat himself repeatedly, while Jacob is defined by an appetite that causes him to cheat people repeatedly. Now, the reality is Jacob ends up with the birthright and the blessings and the, and the time in God's story out of sheer persistence and eventually obedience to the Lord. But Esau... Esau was the firstborn. He was the guy who was supposed to get it all. In fact, a little backstory on that. Esau is the firstborn. He's the man of a field. He's a great hunter. He was probably just like a jacked dude. He's very hairy. Just went out there hunting, and he was the favorite of his father Isaac. Absolutely the favorite. Clear winner. And the firstborn of twins. Fraternal, not identical. Jacob's more of a Svelte man, the kind of man you'd see on an Esquire catalog or something. Like he's a, he's, a, he's a smooth operator, and he is described as liking to be around the tents. He liked to be where the conversation was happening. I imagine Jacob had a pickup line for every interaction. I imagine that Jacob really liked to gossip, because what else would you do with the tents all day? Kind of feel like I would have appreciated Jacob's style, but not wanted to hang out with him. And he was clever and the favorite of his mother, Rebecca. In Genesis 25, 29 through 34, we see that Jacob's able to buy Esau's birthright right off him for a bowl of stew. So Esau probably wasn't like that smart. I wonder if Jacob was clever or if the people were just kind of dumb. In fact, we read in 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. That's what I think he sounded like. <laughs> and Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Have you ever been so hungry, guys, that you thought you were going to die? I just, oh, God, I'm so hungry. Like when we go a little bit too long in the second service and you're trying to get to lunch and you're like, I'm so hungry, I could die. I'm going to go to Sonny's. Sonny's of all places. They're going to tell me it's a 40-minute wait. Ooh, I'm going to die. So I feel Esau right now. I feel him. I see myself in the scripture. And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. I mean, it wasn't even meat in it, just lentils, right? Gross. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. All jokes aside, Esau was exhausted. He had probably been in the field for days, not hours. But the guy had been hunting, I guess. 
or farming or something? Was he that hungry? It's hard for me to believe. But regardless of the way this story sounds, it points to a truth that we're all guilty of. There are times where we're so hungry for something, we feel like we may die. And the funny thing is, it's what we want that might kill us. See, Esau's entirely informed, man, this mic thing is it's just cockeyed. I hope you guys can hear me. This whole thing about Esau shows that his appetite, while legitimate, he was hungry for food, was a distraction for the hungriness he should have had for what God already had in store. And I believe that we are always in a tension where we're willing to sell our birthright, sell the thing God has for us as individuals and as a church and as a country because of an immediate present hunger that may be valid, but is not an excuse to sell off your birthright. God has things for each and every one of you that if you're not hungry for, you will never find. Because like Pastor Dustin said, if you go looking to find something, you will find it. I hear people all the time, especially young men, young women going into the ministry who speak about what they want from God and what they want in a husband, but they're not really doing anything to prepare themselves for what God has. I see young men looking for wives and looking in all the wrong places. I see people looking for their careers, but they're afraid to open books. It concerns me because we have a great ambition and hunger out there, but we won't step to it because it's just too gosh darn far away. And it bothers me because we will shortchange the hunger God's put in us, the hunger God wants us to exhibit. We'll shortchange it for a bowl of soup. Our appetites need to be informed by what God has for us instead of simply what comes to mind. In fact, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see this. He says, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not blessed those who hunger and thirst for food or for clout or for fame or for wealth or for affirmation or for 101 other temporary things, but for righteousness. People who hunger for God's best in their life, people who hunger for an approach to God's holy standard. I want to see our next generation and I want to see each and every one of you hungry for the right stuff and satiated only by what God offers. Which brings me to the last thing. I just mentioned righteousness. Another word for that, often in Scripture, depending on your translation, is holy, the last age. See, those first two things were things that you can be. You can simply make a decision right now, today, to be that. But holiness is a little different. Holiness requires a pursuit. See, holiness is being set apart from the world around us. It's being a different kind of people, a people that's dedicated to God in a very real way. In fact, we see in Leviticus and then again in 1 Peter, this verse, it's said in Leviticus to God's chosen people and it's said in 1 Peter to each and every one of us, you shall be holy to me for I am the Lord, I'm sorry, and for I the Lord am holy, sorry guys, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. See, 
In First Peter, it's just the first part. I'm holy, so you should be holy. See, God's holy standard, God's holy status is a signature of who God is. It's the definition of who God is. Set apart, blameless, perfect, righteous. His holy standard is as far from me as anything could be. And this was true to the Israelites and it's true to us. We're called to be holy, something that sounds and possible, and we're invited into God's family, his chosen people, by the power of the gospel. And while God is perfectly holy, holy doesn't actually mean perfect for us. And that's where it gets confusing. See, as a young Christian, I desperately wanted to be holy, and I kept doing this funny thing that people do called sin. And I did it, like, really well, like, way better than I was at being holy. It was definitely, ninth grade, I was definitely sinning at a college level. Don't tell my parents. And as a younger and idealistic believer later on, I started getting confused because I wanted to see the holiness that preachers had been yelling at me about. But every time I looked at someone, I would see the holiness as an example, and then I would see their sin. See, I would put people on pedestals of holiness, not realizing that holiness is something that's a process. It's not just an attribute that I can claim in an instant. It's something that's constantly being moved and refined in my life, stirred by the power of God's spirit. I can't just decide to be a good guy and be called holy. As much as I try to live my life according to this, it alone, that effort, doesn't make me holy. In fact, nothing I do can make me holy. Instead, it's about the pursuit of that holiness. And in that pursuit, in that willingness to conform to an image that is not mine, but the image of God's son, God comes and he meets me. He doesn't meet me halfway because I definitely didn't make it to halfway. I don't even know if I made it to 10%, but I know that he meets me. And that gives me righteousness. And that gives me holiness. And that begins to fulfill things because our holiness isn't perfect but through God, it's being perfected. See, some people can't get over the guilt that comes with a day-to-day relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that way, we get so discouraged that we can't control the guilt that comes, the condemnation that comes. Romans 6.22 gives the perfect picture, and I should hurry. Paul writes, but now that you have been set free from sin and, become, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That's Romans 6, 22. See, we see sanctification there, but if you look in other translations other than the ESV, you'll see holiness. See, sanctification is the process of getting to holiness. And it's in that scripture that the apostle Paul writes that we can see that despite the problems we may have in our day-to-day. God is working holiness within us. The question is, are we willing and have the heart to pursue what we on our own will never grasp? That kind of, des- that kind of dedication means that we're going to act differently than people around us. We're going to be different so that we can be ministers to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers, and to each and every person who needs a holy example of the holy standard that we find in God. And every person who needs the gospel. 
In fact, that's really what all three things are about. See, we exist in a world, obviously, that desperately needs the transformative power of the cross. A gospel that our lives, each and every one of us, should be evidence of. And it's the hope of the elders and the pastors of Journey Christian Church that we become disciples who show this kind of thing. See, I believe there's nothing more attractive than lives evidently changed by the gospel. Lives that show humility in their bearing, hunger in the way that they pursue all that God has for their life, and an example of dedicated pursuit of what it means to be holy. See, if we want to see lives change, if we want to see our church grow, if we want to see our families dynamically altered, if we want to see the best of what God has for us as recent graduates, as followers of Jesus, as a church here in Lake County and beyond, we have to work at what it means to be humble, to be hungry, to be holy. Because we have a world sinking further and further into darkness. You don't have to look far. We have a world that's full of mental anguish, physical pain. We have a world that's being sunk into not just physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. And we have an entire world that wants to look at this Bible and not see a holy standard, not see anything really worth reading. We have a world that, that desperately needs someone to show them that an abundant life is possible, a life transformed by the gospel. So the time to play around is long since over. The time to worry only about our tribe and only about where we're going to lunch on Sunday, which where are we going to lunch? It's over. We're in a place where people in Lake County and the rest of the world desperately need us to show what being a Christian is all about. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday morning at work. Not just at work, but in traffic when I usually shake my fist at people. They need to see followers of Jesus that are humble and approachable, that aren't combative, but are hungry for justice, hungry for mercy to be shown, hungry for people to see the holy standard that's in this book and people who live up to that standard. Not by legalism, not by effort, not by deeds, but by faith and willingness to pursue what God has said. As we go into response time, I just want you guys to think about that. Think about it as if you really were graduates today, that today something could end and a new thing could begin. There are four ways we talk about response each and every week. One of them is, it's real simple. You just come over there and you pray with me or you put a prayer request under journeychristian.com slash next steps. Or maybe today's the day where you want to be an active participant. You want to be fully engaged in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can come over there and talk to me or again, register on our website, anything to that extent. Maybe today's the day where you want to mark one milestone, your Lake County graduation with another take the plunge into Christian baptism. Truly let something end so a new thing can begin. Or maybe today is the day where you want to join our family officially. Any of those things I'd love to discuss with you, either during our response time or after service. But I invite you guys to stand up. We're about to sing a new song. It's called Fresh Chance. 
And it's all about the change that can happen today. So as we sing, as we learn this song together, let's just surrender ourselves to a God that can make all things new. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.